Did you know that students get it free? The Irish Times offers a free digital subscription to all full-time undergraduates. Keep up to date for free with quality journalism and reporting. Claim yours today at irishtimes.com slash subscribe slash student. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with EY. Building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. A new report out this week suggests that used car prices rose by at least 3% per month during the summer. I'll be talking in a few moments to a leading dealer in used cars in Dublin about the factors driving this trend. Later in the show, Aidan Donnelly of stockbroker Davy will explain the recent volatile market reactions to the political chaos in the UK. He'll also give us his view on the current tremors being felt in the tech sector and whether or not Elon Musk will meet Friday's deadline to acquire Twitter. First to the used car market. In times past, cars depreciated in value as soon as you drove them off the forecourt. But that trend has been turned on its head over the past year or so. Graham Clark is Chief Executive of Collymore Cars and he joins me now to explain the reasons behind this recent phenomenon. I began by asking Graham to tell us about the size and scale of Collymore Cars. Okay, Collymore Cars is open 10 years this year. So the reason uh, I got into retail was I was actually in wholesale business at the time with cars as well. And it was right in the middle of the downturn. And like anybody, I found it difficult to find buyers for cars and that type of stuff. So we went into retail with the mindset of wholesale. So it was low margins, high volume, that type of a business. It had a huge focus on how can we make this work for a customer and as a business. And obviously through time, you learn that's a little bit trickier than just writing it down on a piece of paper and starting to go. But eventually we've got there and it it works well. Okay, so you're selling used cars and I think you're shifting about 2,000 cars per year. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Now, Graham, I believe you've done a first in Ireland by building a carbon neutral showroom. Not ex- exactly sure what that means. Maybe you can explain. Okay. Um, layman's terms, it was a brownfield site that I bought and developed out. NZEB is the gold standard of carbon neutral buildings. So they, they, they haven't come on stream yet. What it basically means is nearly zero emission building. And the reason it's nearly is the solar panels or the material or the tech isn't at the spec level yet that you can actually call it completely neutral. You can forward, there's forward planning on that. We we have it in place. We have the site built for just 200 spaces on it. They're all ducting for EV spaces. There's water harvesting, which runs the solar panels. The solar panel runs the harvesting. So in a nutshell, the building is self-sufficient. It's, it's running itself. So the building is carbon neutral, but the cars on your forecourt, presumably, are very much emitters, polluters. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's the um, that's the plan for the future. That's why we'll, we've put in uh, the EV points and all that. It's uh, the forefront of me uh, pushing EVs to supply to get to the supply chain to me. Graeme, if you're selling 2,000 cars a year, how many of those are hybrid or electric vehicles? Probably EVs would be very low. Hybrids would be growing year on year. It is probably going to be maybe 35 40% this year, but it's more so as diesel and petrol disappears, EV and hybrid will increase. So I'm at really the mercy of the new cars. How many more years do you expect to be selling diesel and petrol? 
it will come down to supply. I, I still think they're like a diesel car is more economical, rightly or wrongly, it is. So people that are doing high mileage, all that type of stuff, if they don't have the range on an EV, it is still commercially viable to have a diesel. It is absolutely going out. You look at Volvo, you look at any of the big brands, they're, they're all committing to 2030. They won't have them anymore. So that'll just drip feed down to everybody else. I suppose over the last uh, year or so, people have really been surprised to learn that um, used cars are going up in price. Um, normally, it's the other way around. You drive a car off a forecourt and immediately there's uh, depreciation. Your, your vehicle is worth less. But in fact, in some cases, older vehicles are worth a lot more money now than they were a couple of years ago. What's going on? It's incredible to see. First off, I've, I'm 30 years in the industry now and I've never seen it before. So it is very, very strange. I really think it comes down to a perfect storm. It started with Brexit, which in turn introduced a 10% duty. So it, the industry itself wouldn't be able to absorb a percentage hike like that. I wouldn't have that return in business. So that was the start of it. So that probably cut out the UK market instantly then we had COVID and the supply chain and now if you look at Skoda Kodiaks in particular the wiring looms and several other electric components come from the Ukraine so it would be very unusual that at any point you would have three major bumps in the road affecting a supply chain. Yeah, now we had a report this week on used car prices, which uh, said, you know, told us that a surge in demand over the summer drove up prices by uh, 3% per month. But for uh, prices for cars valued at up to €6,000, they rose by 6.4% during the three-month summer period, uh, bringing year-on-year inflation for these models to 34.5%, which is extraordinary. And higher-valued cars, uh, £19,000, increased their prices by 3.3% a month, bringing the year-on-year increase to 17%. Again, I mean, they're extraordinary figures, and I know we're living in an inflationary environment, but against the backdrop of the old adage that uh, cars depreciate, not appreciate in value, it's it's just extraordinary. And I'm just wondering, um, in terms of, you know, we, we heard a lot about supply chains and issues around um, chips and there weren't enough new cars coming into markets uh, and all of that. Um, but I think the tech companies are kind of telling us those those issues have been sorted out. So is there something else at play? Um, I, I don't think so. It's in the best times, cars are slow to manufacture anyway. So I, I have noticed there, there would be calls from leasing companies, companies I would have dealt with over the years, looking to see how I was fixed for next year, supply chain, would I be willing to underwrite vehicles, that type of thing, which hasn't happened in the last couple of years. So that would lead me to think, the supply chain is definitely getting easier than it was. But from what I have seen, I can't honestly say that it is there yet. Yeah, and just a couple of other things, uh, Graham. The government has set an electric vehicle target for 2030. I think it's a a million vehicles um, on the road by then. Uh, But it looks as if we're way behind. And just wondering if uh, if, um, you think their plans are contributing to the rising costs of both new and used cars? Um, it sounds like a difficult target for me to to see them achieving. Uh, if you look at the moment, you, electric vehicles are probably somewhere at 12, 13%. And even if that growth, which would be probably double year on year for the last four or five years, even if they work out a supply chain on that, 
I can't see how it's achievable. Like my forecasting on that brings us to half a million cars by 2030. I, I think if you look at European models, they heavily incentivize these type of cars. Unless that comes into play, I can't see how it can be done. Is there much of a market for second-hand hybrids or electric vehicles? Absolutely. The problem is that there's so little. Like if you look at the average used car is probably eight years old at the moment, which is the supply chain issue. People really want it to be three to five years. And if you look at three to five-year-old electric or hybrid cars, the supply, it's just difficult. Hybrid more so. You can you can achieve your figures on them, but electric is near on impossible at the moment. And just in terms of cost, just wondering, are some modern cars now perhaps a bit overspecced in terms of maybe safety equipment, but also in terms of some of the digital um, technology that's included? And again, that's pushing up costs. Would it be helpful if uh, some of these uh, extras were stripped back? I think it's probably down to an individual choice. Like historically, if you look at petrol or diesel cars, you probably had three base points. You would have an entry model, you'd have a middle spec and you'd have a high spec. And then it came down to the individual of what level they wanted. With electric cars, their price point is probably expensive, so they need to include the luxuries on it. I would think there would be a far better appeal if it went back to the historic way of doing it. People can choose themselves then and hopefully it will reduce the uh, entry point on all electric cars. The data would suggest that car makers are abandoning the mass market and, and focusing on higher margin models, leaving um, those who are on a, a tight budget, uh, kind of cutting them out of the new car market, if you like. Um, and with used car prices rising now, is it time for the government? Is there something that the government can do to incentivize used imports? As I mentioned, the 10% duty is definitely something they did look at. You hear whispers from now, now and then that they are, but I'm not in a position to comment whether they are. I think they should. I think that if you look at the end of this year, we'll probably be down 40% on imports and that will have a huge impact on the 10%. As I said, if you're operating in a 5% or 6% business, it's very hard to absorb a 10% duty changing that around will have a light switch effect. What's the trend in terms of the switch to electric vehicles? Clearly it's underway. I, I'm just wondering what you're seeing in terms of, through your own business, in terms of uh, demand from people for hybrids or electric vehicles. When they come onto your forecourt and they're interested in buying a car. Oh, it's the forefront of everyone's mind. Like I, I find that you learn more out watching a rugby or a football match or chatting to friends or people at a wedding or whatever, it's the first question they ask, electric cars, hybrid cars, do they work? Are they worth it? Can you get them? And it goes from there. The the infrastructure is probably still a little bit weak, but from driving around, you can see it on petrol forecourts. You can see that's only a couple of years away, but it's really down to incentivising the supply chain. And Graeme, just to close it out, what do you think uh, about car prices for next year? Where Where do you see the trend going? Are we going to continue to see this inflation in used car prices uh, or or will it ease? I don't think so. I think it's going to reduce. It won't be an overnight thing. I think supply will come on stronger in the new year. And with that, it will drip feed through us. If uh, the UK really contributes to our supply because of the right-hand drive, so they will pick up cars, then it will feed into us. If they open up the used car market more, that will have a huge impact as well. It's, it, there's probably two or three things that need to happen for it to resolve. Graham Clark, thank you for joining us.
Thanks, Carol. Okay, we're going to take a short break now. When I return, I'll be talking to Aidan Donnelly of Davy about the current flux in markets. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. The UK appointed a new Prime Minister this week with Rishi Sunak replacing the chaos of Liz Truss's six weeks in Downing Street. This appears to have calmed markets with sterling and UK bonds returning to where they were before Truss's mini-budget in September, which promised massive tax cuts funded by borrowings. Aidan Donnelly of Stockbroker Davy joined me on the line for the segment and I began by asking him to explain why the market reaction to Truss's budget was so strong and whether Sunak's appointment has restored confidence. The main issue with the budget was the fact that they were going to basically go out and were looking to spend an awful lot of money uh, trying to pump prime the economy through fiscal expenditure, through cutting uh, taxes and all of that type of thing, which is fine if you have the financial wherewithal to do that. But unfortunately, the UK government, as as most governments are in this situation post-COVID, you know, the coffers are pretty empty after spending so much to boost the economy during COVID. They're now trying to boost the economy and there's nothing left. So in that type of a situation, they are relying on the markets to, to basically fund this through higher government uh, borrowing over the next couple of years. And I suppose it's interesting from the perspective of, of uh, the UK government, you know, when they, when they left uh, the EU, they probably thought that they were they were masters of their own destiny in terms of being, doing what they want on their own fiscal situation, not being held to, to rules and regulations uh, that, that the EU held. But they've basically found out pretty quickly that they've just changed master, really, and the markets are now their master because when the markets looked at this, then they said, well, hang on a second, we ain't funding this. Uh, absolutely no chance. Um, so as a result, as you said, sterling plunge, but then the, the bond yields, uh, which would be the price that the, the government has to borrow money at, shot through the roof. Now, it had knock-on effects, and we can go into it in a second if you want about what that did with the, with, with the pensions, but basically the, the market was saying, listen, number one, we've seen, we've seen borrowing costs for every government go up over the last while because bond yields have been moving higher. So the cost of your existing stuff has gone up. So to fund that, you're going to have to, to come up with more money. And then you want to borrow even more money on top of that and don't really have a set of budget projections out there, what the economy is going to do and all of that type of thing. And I think, you know, when, when the market was looking through it, it had developed its own set of budget predictions that said, you know, the UK is going to go into a recession and, you know, in that type of an environment, your tax revenues fall even more. So how the hell are you going to fund this? And, and, and we're not going to be le- left uh, holding the can at the end of this. So that was really what the the, the, um, the the market reaction was. Now, as I said to you, it was exacerbated by a pension situation. And, and that really goes back to the turn of the de- of the century, actually, when um, there was a big switch made by UK pension funds away from equities into bonds uh, in, in order to try to balance their asset and liabilities. Now, that in and of itself is fine, but given the size of the move um, and, and the amount of assets they were talking about, there wasn't enough government bonds in the UK outstanding really for them to be able to do this. So a lot of them entered into these 
derivative liability, derivative uh, strategies in, in order to try fund it, which meant that they were kind of putting leverage into the pension scheme. And the, the problem with that is the, the collateral, if you will, for, the, for all of those loans was the gilts themselves. So as the, the gilt prices in the last couple of weeks started to move higher, these pension funds all started to get margin calls, were forced to sell stuff in order to meet the margin calls. And that, as they were selling gilts into a market that was already spooked, we saw the, the bond yields move higher. And that's ultimately why the Bank of England had to move in uh, or step in and, and, and start buying. Now, since then, what have we seen? Well, we have seen, as you said, the, 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 the Chancellor change, Jeremy Hunt coming in, and he's basically just scrapped everything that, that Kwasi Kwarteng was going to, to do and uh, what Liz Truss wanted to do. And I think the main issue ultimately where we are right now is, yes, you could argue it's in a safer pair of hands with, with Rishi Sunak and, and, and Jeremy Hunt, but it doesn't get over the crucial problem here, which is the, the government coffers are bone empty and there's going to have to be some sort of borrowing. And as we said, costs have already gone up for all governments. Even, even in Ireland, we've seen the costs go up in terms of government borrowing costs. So the question is, how do you balance that? And how do you, you know, because on the, on, on the other side of it, you know, you have the Bank of England that are being forced to put interest rates up higher and higher and higher because we've obviously seen last week inflation hit over 10%. So they are going to keep on pushing interest rates. That slows the economy and you get into this circular thing of, you know, if the economy is slowing, the government wants to, to try to stem some of that. But the revenue that's coming in in terms of tax receipts are lower because the economy is so, so government borrowing is the only thing. But you have a set, you have markets who are not willing to write a blank check. So it's, it's, it's going to be a big question for the UK government. How do you balance that? Being able to borrow enough and not completely cripple yourself and being able to try to bolster the economy in some way. Yeah, and of course the global economic outlook is uh, pretty poor, isn't it? The IMF said recently that the worst is yet to come. Yeah, and, and, and I think, look, the, the, there is definitely a huge mark, uh, worry out there uh, about the global economy. Uh, definitely Europe has, has major issues. I'd be less negative on, on the US, I have to say. I, I, I think given the strength of the consumer, given the strength of corporates, I, I, I think the US can avoid a recession. And definitely growth rates in, in Asia and the emerging markets will be lower than they would normally be, but it's unlikely that they're going to go into recession. But given how important they are, that slightly lower growth rate in, in those markets does create a drag for global growth overall. So does Rishi Sunak's appointment, is that just a sticking plaster, do you think? Or uh, could it be more meaningful? I think if there was genuine uh, unity within the Conservative Party, you might think he'd have a chance. But I think the problem you've got is you've got so much political infighting within the, the, um, within, within the Conservative Party. They just don't know how it's going to go. And the reality is, like, it, it wasn't... The downfall of Liz Truss wasn't just due to her mini-budget. Let's be honest. Like, there's huge amount of infighting in, in, in the Conservatives, and she was probably being set up to fail anyway. Um, irrespective of what sort of a plan she had in place. So I think, I, I don't get the sense, I have to say, that there's a real unity within the Conservative Party. So all this may have done is, is, is you know, push the pinch point down the road a little bit um, on, on, until something happens. Like we're already seeing, you know, issues in terms of his appointment of Suella Braverman and, and there's a big backlash even within the party about that. Um, and there's going to be more issues coming down the line. So... It's 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 it, it, you know, and he's probably said it himself. You know, there is a monumental task uh, to try to 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 
achieve in the UK. And yes, it's probably in a better set of hands, but that doesn't make it an easier task. Yeah, sure. Now, um, we're in corporate earnings season and uh, some of the big uh, players are out this week with uh, trading updates. Alphabet, uh, which is the parent of Google, um, had results out uh, last night and sent a bit of a tremor through the um, through the markets uh, by announcing that its digital advertising and e-commerce is under uh, big pressure. Uh, there's been a slowdown in ad growth and Microsoft uh, added to the gloom in the tech sector as well by warning of a marked slowdown in its cloud computing business in the coming months. And presumably this is a trend where we're going to see from other companies as well in the coming days. Yeah, I think you need to kind of separate out what the fundamentals are doing and what the expectations are. And probably in both cases, expectations were running a little ahead of themselves. Um, you know, as you look at the earnings season overall, you know, earning, you know, revenue top line growth remains in the high single digit, obviously aided by, by inflation. But even at the bottom line, you're probably looking at, at earnings growing at, at, you know, low single digit year on year. So in, in totality, it, it, it's probably not bad. But I think what's more important about this earnings season is what the companies are, 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 are the commentary that are coming from companies rather than the numbers. And we certainly saw that two very good examples of it last night. Now, what I would say to you is in both cases, both Microsoft and, and, um, and, and particularly Alphabet, the, the, the companies don't run the business on a quarter to quarter basis, right? They, they have a long term look and say, right, you know, we want to get from A to B and it's not going to be a nice smooth run that takes us along a, a, a glide path. There's going to be peaks and troughs within that. And we've seen it in the past. And ultimately, you know, the market has a great tendency to get its knickers in a twist on a quarter by quarter basis. And, and then suddenly, you know, two quarters down the line, suddenly go, oh, wasn't that the absolute right thing that those companies did two quarters ago, even though we fretted about it, you know, at the time. So I do think that the, the commentary and it, it like if you put yourself in the position of CEOs right now, right, with all of the uncertainty that's out there. Would you be going out and banging the table that everything is wonderful and everything is great? No, you. There's going to be so. There's an air. There's a difference, I suppose, between conservatism and cautious, right? And 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 I think definitely the the, the CEOs for the most part were being conservative rather than being cautious. We are seeing decent growth across the retail spectrum in the U.S. Consumer remains strong. We saw that in 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 a few of the banks' results that came out. You know, pointing to the fact that um, you know they they. The, the transaction um, it re- remains strong, their, their, their personal balance sheets remain strong. And even we, we had Visa last night and they're saying, look, although transactions are slowing, the growth in transactions are slowing, they're still growing. And, and I think that's the, 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 the key thing to, 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 to bear in mind. So it, it's going to be, we have a very busy week this week. Um, we're, you know, there's about 165 or 170 companies in the US reporting this week in the S&P 500. So we, we, we'll certainly get a much clearer view of it by the end of this week. Yeah. How worrying is this for Ireland in, in terms of the wobbles in the tech sector? Because obviously they employ tens of thousands of people. It's very valuable employment for the Irish economy. I don't want to overstate it, but but it's certainly um, it, it's certainly something that's worth keeping in mind because we have seen some major announcements from some very very big employers in Ireland, and you know we've we've seen um, Intel already talking about cutting ten percent of staff. Uh, we've certainly talked heard, heard of Meta talking about cutting staff. So there's definitely at the margin there, and and I think there's twofold. One, you know, we, we all the time we 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 are we're looking at. We're looking for announcements of staff cutting, but there's also, you know, they've been a big 
marginal employer in the, in, in, in the economy. So where, where you also want to keep an eye out is for announcements that hiring freezes are coming in and things like that, because that, that's the kind of the... That's the first step before you start cutting them. So there's probably been more announcements of, of hiring freezes. And yet it's funny, you know, last quarter, uh, Alphabet announced that they were going on a hiring freeze. But actually, I think over the quarter, they applied 12,000 more people globally. So I'm not quite sure what what, did, what defines a freeze and what, 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 what design, you know, what their definition of it is. But look. It's definitely uh, worth keeping an eye on. Um, you know, as you said, they are huge employers um, within the country and very valuable, high-skilled um, um, and high-paying employers. So it's definitely worth keeping an eye on, yeah. Yeah, sure. Now, the Elon Musk Twitter saga may well come to an end or come to some sort of a conclusion. Hopefully, at the end of hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. On Friday, uh, well, a judge in the US recently set Friday as the deadline for Elon Musk to take over Twitter And we've had uh, different signals from his side as to whether that's going to happen or not. Uh, What's the Davy view? I don't really have a strong view one way or the other on it, to be honest with you. I I, I think it goes to show the, 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 the... Absolute importance when these transactions are coming on. It's 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 you, you need to have a CEO or a key or a key um, participant who um, knows the law in terms of what the rules and regulations are for M and A and what you can say and what you can't say and 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 you know you can't just shoot your mouth off and say well I'm going to buy it for X amount. It's you know that is legally binding in a lot of cases as he's finding out. So I think. You know, it it, it, it it probably hasn't done the industry a whole lot of good. I'd say it hasn't done the company Twitter a whole lot of good because I'm sure if you're sitting there as an employee and you're kind of going, am I going to be taking over? Do I want to be operating this company in, under a, an Elon Musk? And, and if he doesn't take it over, what does that tell me about the long-term nature of, of, of the company I work with? So I'd say, you know, internally, it's probably caused a huge amount of angst to the employee. So I'd say then more than anybody else want a a conclusion to this and at least they have a definitive date now and and we'll just have to wait and see somehow or other i don't think this story is over i'd say there's going to be plenty of news between now and friday somehow uh, there'll be lots of twists and turns on this road yeah i suspect you're right aiden donnelly thank you for joining us thanks Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Graham Clark and Aidan Donnelly. The show was produced by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today. Email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. <laughs>